Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the St Albans Five Docs Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. Is in the media for having views that is in opposition to what our society have de- figure. So Andrew Thorburn gets elected as the CEO of uh, Essendon Football Club. And then a day later, he's asked to resign because uh, of his leadership in a choice between football and the church, which is a classic Australian thing. Um, I I, I feel like I'm kind of tired of hearing these stories, but I think that it's going to become more common rather than less. Christians who hold the simple belief that the Bible really is God's word and that it is good for us, are deemed unacceptable, considered out of step with society, even dangerous in society. So how do you feel about being a Christian in Australia this week? To be honest, I often find talking to non-Christians a bit, because often as soon as you raise anything about God or you start talking to them about the church or start telling them about Jesus, It seems like the questions or accusations that get thrown back at you as a Christian um, are instantly about abortion or homosexuality or transgenderism or about the church's treatment of women, about Jesus. But instead we get caught up in these conversations, which are very tricky and important to have. But to give good answers to those questions take nuance, and nuance takes time, and often people don't want to give time to the conversation. And yet... We want people to know about Jesus because we think that Jesus means life. So how are we going to go about engaging with the world that we live in that we might reach people with the good news about Jesus Christ? Uh, To these questions, even though this is a 2,000-year-old document, Colossians 4 has good answers for us. And my my aim this morning is that we wouldn't be fearful or daunted about our faith but that we would be wise and confident as we live in 21st century Australia as Christians who hold the Bible seriously. That's what we're talking about this morning. It'd be great if you kept your Bibles open to Colossians 4 with me as we do some work together. The first point this morning is to um, pray for opportunities. Have a read again with me in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison, so that I as I should. So the encouragement that Paul gives us is that we should persevere in prayer, being watchful and thankful. There are three safeguards in this as we engage with our world. The first is that the very nature of prayer expresses God for everything. At its core, what prayer says is that I am not in control. I do not have the power to do this thing. But God does. And so God help us and I'm coming to you because you are able to do the thing that I am unable to do. And us, can I change what is happening out there? I can't even get my kids to put on their shoes in the morning. What chance do I have to go out into the world and change it? But can God change our world? 
Yeah. So prayer protects us from fear because it reminds us that God is able to do the things that we cannot. Secondly, it safeguards us by keeping us watchful. Now, the Christian life, as we're reminded in Colossians 3, is characterized by waiting patiently for Jesus to return. Jesus told many parables about waiting for his return, usually involving a bridegroom and people waiting for the bridegroom to arrive at his wedding. And what's the one reason, the major reason, that Jesus said they were not ready for his arrival? So they fell asleep. They weren't watchful. They weren't ready. And so Jesus exhorts them to keep watch, to be ready. And Paul here says that it is prayer that keeps us watchful, to stay awake. Because in prayer, we constantly remind ourselves that this world is not where our hope is. That we're hoping for something better. We're waiting for something better than the world that we currently have. And so prayer keeps us watchful. Thirdly, prayer with thanksgiving. I know this is very quick. I think it's easy when we pray to simply pray for the bad things that are going wrong in our lives and the things that we personally need or things going wrong in the world, which is good. But I think in doing so, and and I'm speaking to myself here, it's really easy to get jaded or pessimistic about the world around us. And yet here, we're encouraged to pray with thanks. Because God is at work in our world. God is a good father who gives good gifts to his children. And so we ought to be looking for the good things that God is doing and being thankful for him. Because it transforms the way that we think about the world. It transforms the way that we think about ourselves now. And so it safeguards us against becoming jaded and pessimistic. But Paul also asks the Colossians to pray for him, that doors would be opened for him. Now, Paul is imprisoned at this point, maybe under house arrest, we're not sure. Um, But in the book of Acts, Peter is also arrested and chucked in prison for his faith. The church prays and God miraculously sends an angel to open the doors and to set him free. Now, to be honest, if you're Paul right now, sitting under house arrest or in prison because of the things that you believe, unjustly imprisoned, what are you going to be praying for? I know what I'd be praying for. I'd be like, God, get me out. Help me to get out of my house arrest. Open that door with whatever miraculous angel you're going to send. But no, what does Paul pray for? He prays for opportunities for the gospel that the word would go forth. That God would give him opportunity to share about Christ. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which he is in prison. So even there, even in chains, his concern is that people would hear about Jesus. How? How can Paul be more concerned about the people around him and them hearing about Jesus than he is about his own current predicament, his own injustice? Well, again, back in chapter 3, he says... That our lives are hidden with Christ. And when Christ returns, our life returns also. This isn't just a line for him. It's not just something that he tells himself to make himself feel better. 
No, Paul actually says that all of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my future is there with Christ. And he's so convinced that this is true that he's willing to give up everything in this life for Christ. And that's a big investment, isn't it? I mean, for you to give up everything that you have, your life, your health, your safety, your friendships, your relationships, all in the one hope that what Jesus promised is true, that he will one day return, that takes a lot of certainty, doesn't it? How could Paul be so certain that it's worth giving up everything for? Well, also where Paul says that he, all of his confidence comes from the fact that Jesus came back from the dead. It's the resurrection that convinces Paul to turn his life around. It's seeing Jesus after he was raised from the dead that turned Paul from someone whose job it was to go out and kill Christians to go out and make Christians. It's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. His prayer, therefore, is that God would open a door for the word so that others could hear about this resurrected Christ and come to put their life in the life that is real, in a certain hope. And encouragingly, his prayer is that they would, they would, sorry, he's asking that they would pray that God would help him to declare it clearly. And that's encouraging because I don't feel like I'm always able to share the gospel clearly with others. And yet Paul is here saying, yeah, I, I need help with this. I need help to make it clear as I ought to. But let me ask you this. Do you believe that God can open doors for the gospel today? That is, as we think about sharing the gospel, as we think about going out into Five Dock and telling people about Jesus, we can be a bit pessimistic, I think. And yet, it's no more a miracle today when God brings someone to faith than it was then. It's no more a miracle. And so as we go out and we share the gospel, we do so in the hope that God is able to do what we are not able to do. It's always a work of God. And it's only a work of God that brings people to put their faith in Christ. So therefore, Paul asks for prayer. And therefore, we ought to be in prayer. So friends, let's pray for our ministers as they share the gospel here. Let's pray for Five Dock, that people would come to know Christ. Let's pray for our friends and our family who do not know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's trust that in prayer, God will answer. Secondly, walking in wisdom. Have a read again with me um, from verse 5. It says, Conduct yourselves, yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Um, having exhorted them to pray that God would open opportunities for the gospel, Paul tells them to be ready for when God answers that prayer. And being ready starts by conducting themselves wisely. The word here is, is walking in wisdom towards outsiders. Now, I think that if Paul wanted to, he, he could have come up with a long list of how exactly they should engage with the wider culture in society, which would have probably been easier to just read a list of things that they were to do than thinking about how to walk in wisdom. Because walking in wisdom is a pretty broad category. 
Wisdom involves knowing God. It involves knowing ourselves. It involves knowing others. It involves knowing the world around us. And understanding how that knowledge of the network that we live in affects the way that we ought to live. It's a complex situation. And that complex situation requires wisdom for us to know how exactly we ought to act. And that makes it quite a difficult task, doesn't it? It's not simple to know exactly how to act. What should Andrew Thorburn have done in that situation? Partly, Paul calls us to walk in wisdom because the way that we live our lives will affect whether people are willing to listen to what we have to say. That is, if we act foolishly, if we just go around doing damage to ourselves or doing damage to other people or doing damage to our world, people are going to be very unlikely to trust the message about Jesus that we have to share. They're going to be very unlikely to entrust their whole lives to this message if they see you acting foolishly. We want to live such attractive lives in wisdom that people look at our lives and they go, I want whatever that person has. Jesus makes a claim that in him is life and life to the full. Part of what astounded people about Jesus was the wisdom that he had about God and about the world and about the way that we live and interact and engage in this world. So much so that they came from miles around just to hear him teach. Because they knew that Jesus had something that they were lacking. He had wisdom about life, about actual life. Now here's the thing, as we follow Jesus, as we live wisely, we too have something that the world around us needs. The wisdom of Christ, lived out in our lives. So our lives ought to display the wisdom of Christ and therefore make the gospel attractive. But we also need to Walk wisely because the world we live in is always changing. A list of how to engage with culture would quickly go out of date. And hence why a letter from 2,000 years ago can still be relevant today. Therefore, engaging with the world around us requires us to be wise about the world. And this is why Paul says that they should make the best use of the time. Often here, I think we start thinking about not wasting our time. You know, don't watch movies, don't spend all your time at work, don't, you know, go and, I don't know, spend hours and hours doing sport or whatever because you need to make the best use of your time. But Paul doesn't say make the best use of your time. It's the time. And the word here can mean the kind of time, the season, the moment that we live in. That is... Walking in wisdom means understanding the time that you live in and then making the best use of that opportunity for the gospel. And, and I'm not sure that we're very good at this in the church, understanding the time that we live in and understanding how to live in it. It's just easier to do things the way that we've always done things. It's easier when we look at the, what is happening in the world around us just to retract into a community, bunker down and become defensive 
and stop engaging. But Paul doesn't say that. He says to redeem the time, to make the best use of it. That is, look at what the opportunities are around us in this time that are offered and engage with it. And I think actually there's many opportunities with the world around us because people, as we live in this secular society, people know that the lives that they have, that, that the, the message that they live by doesn't actually make sense. And so there's great opportunity as we present something that is life, that does make sense, for people to come and hear the gospel. This is related to the encouragement that he gives in verse 6, to always let our speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer each person. So we've prayed for opportunities, we've been walking in wisdom um, to have a good reputation, but now there's a live person in front of us who has real questions and wants real answers. How are we going to answer them? Um, some friends that I know kind of just shy away from these conversations about God. Uh, other friends that I know seek out every opportunity but forget the whole graciousness part. And I'm not sure which is worse. I think it's probably the second. Um, like Christians having online discussions on Facebook and they just attack people and ridicule their beliefs. And it's embarrassing to watch it happen as a Christian. Others are great at it, actually, and it's a great opportunity. But the difference is always graciousness. The difference is always the way that we engage. And in fact, the way that we engage is often more important than whether we have amazing, really wise things to say. Our conversation is supposed to be like it's seasoned with salt. That is... Um, that it's supposed to be tasty, so that the other person actually likes talking to us about God. They walk away from the conversation, not necessarily agreeing with us, but liking what we say. This is why we must speak with graciousness. And at, at the moment, I think our culture thinks that the best way to have these conversations is just by yelling really loudly and not showing any grace or forgiveness or love to those who disagree. We must not be like that. And I think as we be gracious, people will see the attractiveness of what we have to say. But it's not just the way that we engage. I think our answers too are supposed to be tasty, to have an actual answer to the questions that people have. In fact, Paul says that we ought to know how to answer each person. That might mean picking up a book or listening to a podcast because um, it's acknowledging that other people have wisdom about the world and about the Bible that we don't necessarily have. Um, it might mean just starting to have those conversations with Christian friends that's a safe environment. Um, you know how sometimes you can think in your head that you have a really good answer or, or a really good thought and then you say it to someone else and, and you go, that was really dumb and that didn't make sense at all. It's, it's having those conversations out loud with other people that helps us to see what's a good argument or not. And so just start practicing having those conversations. It might be weird, but go, hey, I, I want to, this friend asked me this question and I didn't have a good answer. Can we talk about that? What, how, how could I do that? To use each other in growing in our wisdom that we might know how to answer each other and answer those outside of the church. Lastly, our community. And this is a short point. 
Paul ends his letter with a bunch of farewells. Have a read with me from verse 7. Tychicus will tell you um, all the news about me. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerned, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, greets you. These are the only ones of the circumcision among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. He's always wrestling in his prayers on your behalf so that you may stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. For I testify for him that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also the letter from... Uh, read also the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you complete the task that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Um, now, that, perhaps that's a bit long. Uh, it, it feels like just the end of a letter um, reading his farewell. But I hope you get the sense as we read um, about all these people that Paul is, is either exhorting or thanking, that Paul, even as he lives in chains, that he is not doing ministry alone, but rather he exists in a community of believers, all who engage and work together in different ways. And I think that ought to be greatly encouraging to us. Because God has placed us in the body of Christ, all who have different capabilities, functions, and personalities. That means that you are going to be good at stuff that I'm terrible at, and I'm going to be terrible at stuff that you're good at. God has gifted every one of us with different gifts and abilities. But I think often we, we, we fall into the trap of... Um, Thinking that telling people about Jesus is, is for those people out there who are really good at speaking and really outgoing and, and, and really smart, and I'm not that, and so I'll just leave it up to them. But actually, reaching people with the good news about Jesus Christ happens in community. And God has gifted you and placed where you, you where you are and made you the way that you are because that's exactly how he wanted you to be. Even as you sit at home and pray for opportunities for the gospel, you are on mission. Even as you stack chairs and do morning tea and play music here and, and, and call each other and pray for each other and encourage one another, you are on mission together within the body of believers. And therefore, as we engage with our culture, as we try to share the good news about Jesus, even as we feel at odds with the world, we don't do so alone. But we stand together as a church, building one another up in love. It also means that you're essential here at church. 
if one part of the body is just missing, that affects the whole. And so you are essential. It matters whether we rock up to church to encourage one another or not. And it's always encouraging to one another when we take our community here seriously. So then, three great encouragements from the end of Colossians for how we engage in a world that is at odds with Christianity. We pray for opportunities, trusting in God's power and giving thanks to him. We walk in wisdom, knowing the time that we live in and knowing how to answer each person graciously. And we live in a community of believers on mission together who are essential to each other as we wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. Amen.